This is the Mark Stucheski Podcast. Ben Zhao is a professor and former dean of executive education at INSED. As a business innovation consultant, he has helped some of the world's leading companies build innovation into their corporate DNA. Ben, welcome to the show. Well, uh, good uh, good morning for you, Mark, right? I mean, you know, this is quite late for me, but <laughs> being in Japan. Uh, well, thank you for having me on the show. Good morning. Well, I'm glad you're here. And we recorded this interview yesterday, ladies and gentlemen, and it was 9 a.m. in Houston, 11 p.m. in Japan. But that's not the whole story. We tried to do this interview on Friday, and it was... Oh, my goodness. Everything went wrong, could go wrong. Microsoft would not let him have control of his camera. He spent, get this, folks, 90 minutes on support chat with the company I use, Zencast, to record the interview. Finally solved it. And I said, look at Ben, we got to have you on tomorrow because I don't <laughs> want you to wait six weeks. So he's here. We're going to talk about innovation. And the reason why I'm so excited is because I see a lot of people doing innovation wrong. He graciously sent me his copy of his book, Built to Innovate, Essential Practices to Wire Innovation into Your Company's DNA. I have not read it because everybody sends their, their books. I've got so many books to read, but I will read it because I am interested in innovation. So before we get started, I want you to give me a 30,000 view opinion on how you see innovation in companies in 2021. Well, I mean, this is this is kind of the the the, the main theme of my book. I see I see I see that uh, people uh, think that you need to be you need to have a genius leader or be a startup to innovate. Not true. In my research, I found uh, established even centuries old companies able to innovate. How? They're not looking for like uh, huge industry changing effects. They're looking for small important in sometimes unexpected places, little changes. For this, they, they use continuous and systematic innovation, innovation of every kind driven by everybody. So this is what the book is about. It's about how do you embed in an organization continuous and systematic innovation where everyone can innovate, you can innovate in everything you do, and innovation becomes a habit. I love that. And where I want to go first is, well, first of all, let's address the elephant in the room. You are obviously not Japanese. You are French. You just happen to live ja in Japan. In Japan, yes. yes. <laughs> I don't want someone going, wait a minute, he doesn't sound Japanese. <laughs> okay, so let's let's go here because I think probably on the cutting edge of innovation today is social media companies. You have Facebook, you have Instagram, you have TikTok, you have Snapchat. They seem to be innovating. One of my favorite platforms is LinkedIn. I think they're so confused. They are, I think they have, I don't know, shiny object syndrome. They seem to copy everyone. They haven't done anything that's innovative. Why do you think some companies like Facebook and Instagram and TikTok and Snapchat are innovating like seemingly like every day? And then you have companies like LinkedIn, which is owned by Microsoft, they don't seem to be innovating as much, if at all. Is it because of the internal culture, do you think, of the organization? I think the culture is a very important factor. Uh, I, I mean, again, I think that um, there's, again, you, you, you're giving some names here, but there's, there's, there's a tendency to glorify 
the um, the founders or the the geniuses, and to underestimate the importance of everybody in the company, where you can innovate in very very different places. And I think that uh, uh, there's there's fixation on innovation as something that is disruptive. Right or that the the people who uh, come up with the ideas had to be a genius or talented, and actually I found in my research that uh, you know anybody can innovate. Uh, you have to give them permission. You have to give them the tools. You have to give them space to do it, resources to do it. But anyone can innovate, and also innovation can be in many many different places. There's again a fixation on innovation being about a product. Or a service, but you can innovate in any one of your processes, in legal, in HR. You can innovate in everything you do, and also this this sense that innovation is when you are like in a crisis. Now we have to, you know, disrupt, you know, the the, the industry. No, innovation can become a habit, something that you do all the time. So I think this is this is a kind of distinction that I make is between the. Um, the sporadic kind of breakthrough and this culture where everybody is always encouraged, given permission and uh, encouraged to innovate. And then out of that, out of that, you have big and small innovations coming out. I think that's the big distinction that I make. I love how you say anybody can innovate because I'm a solopreneur. It's just me and I innovate all the time because what happens is I listen to what the marketplace wants and I'm like, okay, I will innovate to serve them. So truly, anybody can innovate. Absolutely, absolutely. I think there's this 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 uh, uh, notion that you need to have a special talent that you you know it's like you, you you're born with it. In fact, you know uh, if if you don't focus on okay, here's here's a distinction I make. Uh, uh, I make a distinction because I found uh, interestingly that uh, working with people and, and talking to some of my students, that the word, even the word innovation, and let, let alone if you start to talk about disruptive innovation, and if you throw names like Facebook, Google, uh, all these companies, it creates a certain anxiety, even a stress among people. So I think that this, uh, this, this view of innovation being systematically a big thing, disruptive, freezes people, actually uh, stresses them. But when I started to actually not focus on the output, the product, or the, the outcome, but focus on the process, and I use the verb instead of the noun, I use the verb innovate, innovating, then it releases the tension because now when you talk about the verb innovating, it's about actions. It's about activities. It's about a behavior. It's about an attitude. And then you can teach that to people. You can develop skills. You don't need to have a talent to innovate as a verb. Does it make sense? It does. And the thought that came to my head when you're talking is what are some what are some barriers that people have when they want to innovate? Are there some common barriers that people face? Yes, I think the the, the common the, the common barriers is really first they they don't feel that they have they have permission 
Uh, I mean, uh, again, uh, sincerely. Uh, and, and actually, <laughs> now that we're in Japan, I can tell you about something I learned many years ago from a Japanese manager, and I've been teaching it and telling all my clients about it. Uh, how do you motivate people to, how do you give them the desire to innovate? Well, I discovered that first, people have to feel that they are able to innovate, that they are allowed, they have permission. Second, that they are capable to innovate. So they need to have support, they need to have the time. They need to have tools. They need to be trained. And then they need to be motivated. And how do you motivate people to, 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 to innovate? Well, they have to feel that their ideas are wanted. And this, this, this gentleman taught me a very simple thing. He said, I use two words and three questions to get people to, to innovate. First, you, 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 you may know that I make a distinction between execution and innovation. When people are executing, they know that their boss can know whether they are accomplishing their work well or not. But when you are innovating, looking for ideas, there's no way that the boss can know if you have an idea or not. So when people come to their boss and say, boss, I have an idea, they're actually taking some risk. And they've learned by looking at what's going on around them that it's better not to, you know, uh, suggest some ideas sometimes. So what he did is that he had a rule is that every time somebody came to see him with an idea, the first thing he would say, he would say, thank you. Because he realized that people were giving him a gift because he would never know they had the idea. There was no way for him to know that somebody had an idea in the head. And then he would, and then actually what happened is that as soon as he started to say thank you to anybody who came to see him with an idea, he got flooded with people coming to see him. So now the problem is that people were sending, were giving him ideas, good and bad ones. So he decided to train them, to discipline them in thinking and testing their own ideas. So he had three questions. First, every time somebody came to see him, he's, and boss, I have an idea. He would say, hmm, thank you. Uh, how, how, how will this idea create value for the customer? So immediately he was getting them to think about the customer. And if they didn't know, they couldn't answer him. He would say, well, just go and ask a customer. Then they come back and then he asked his second question. How would your idea help us reduce the cost or, you know, create value for the company? Hey. You, listening to the Mark Stuchowski Podcast, thank you so much for doing so. I really appreciate it. But are you a Mark Stuchowski insider yet? This is my free email newsletter, and you can sign up right now by going to mrproductivity.com, M-I-S-T-E-R, mrproductivity.com. Then he gets them to think about how will we make money out of this idea? And then the last question was, you know, should we, should we, should we actually pursue this idea? And the fact that he was keeping all the time asking these questions, it disciplined people. And after a while, he realized that people would come to see him and say, boss, I have an idea and the customer is going to like it because of, and this is how you see. So it's, it, 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 he didn't have to tell them anything. Just by asking questions, you can create a culture. I love that. And as you're talking, I'm thinking that anybody in a company, like say there's 5,000 people, the secretary could have an idea for innovation. Absolutely, Mark. I always tell people, I mean, 
the people they never think about a receptionist. A receptionist can have a lot of ideas. Not only the receptionist, he or she can have ideas about how to do his or her own job differently, but if they learn how to listen to the customers, they can hear a lot of things. So I think this is really a question of uh, any, any, anybody, uh, if they are given permission, uh, and if they are taught how to listen to the customer. And this is where you need to have sometimes a bit of training. You have to learn how to listen to what I call the voice of the customer, but more importantly, to listen to the silence of the customer, the things that the customer don't tell you. And there's another layer that is important is non-customers. So let me give you an example. For instance, I worked with a, with a, a Turkish company called Korza. I mean, uh, they make fabric that goes to reinforce tires. So okay. when I started to work with them, they were like a, a commodity supplier. Okay, They were just one of many. And then the, the CEO took a few years to build a very, very nice uh, uh, innovating engine. And what he would do, he would send teams, cross-disciplinary teams, to their customers. I mean, we're talking about B2B here. He would send them... And they would literally camp. They would actually have a tent and camp at the uh, at their customers' plant, and just you know. So you would have people from engineering, people from production, people from legal, people from marketing, a very cross-disciplinary team, and they would roam around talking to their customers, and they would learn a lot about. The, the life of the customer, the job to be done. They would learn about things that the customers would not necessarily volunteer. So for instance, at one plant, they saw that the workers were having difficulty to uh, uh, handle, to unload rolls of fabric. And they never knew about that problem. And the customer, by the way, never thought of asking them about it either. But they went back, they went back to, 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 to Corsa and they designed a little process and they taught the customer and they moved from a, a process that took, uh, what is it, uh, 90 minutes for three people. They taught them how to do it in 12 minutes, one person. <laughs> so this is, this is what I call the silence of the customer. And then there's, there's, uh, we can come back to this, but there's a whole realm of non-customers also, which are uh, a fountain of, uh, of innovation. Yeah, because if you don't find out why those customers are not customers, how are you going to serve them? Exactly. Exactly. And uh, first, you know, when we talk about non-customers, when I talk about non-customers, I mean, like you say, people who could be your customers. But it could be also people in the whole value chain who are not necessarily your customers, but if you create value for them, they may influence the customers. Mm. So here again, I take an example also that I mentioned in, uh, in the book, Build to Innovate. Uh, this is a, a cement company. So you, you notice the companies I'm, 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 I'm mentioning. These are not, these are not like high tech and, and entertainment. These are like, you know, uh, uh, very established, uh, companies in, 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 in all industries. So this is, this is a company in, in cement. Uh, uh, and they are actually quite of a revolutionary company because they, they are really, uh, disrupting a little bit the, 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 the uh, cement industry. They, they came up with a, a technology. Uh, uh, it's called, uh, GGBS. 
its granulated uh, furnace uh, slack uh, uh, product, which is a byproduct of uh, metallurgy uh, companies. So they buy this and it has low carbon footprint than the regular Portland cement. Okay. Okay. So the, the oligopoly of cement didn't want them. So they were influencing the customers and all that. So what this guy did, the CEO, Donald Ryan, he spent time with the regulators. He spent time sending his people, his engineers, to talk to the regulators, and he lobbied to get the regulatory uh, um, in bodies, in particular in France, because the, the, their home base is France, to actually... Uh, uh, agreed to have uh, this new technology uh, in the industry, and that completely changed. So for me, I mean, it's it's a, it's it's a, a way to explain that non-customers are not not mostly people that you are targeting who are going to buy from you, but people who could influence um, your 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 customers. Wow, that's. That's really important. Let me ask you about because we're we're getting the leadership, obviously, because this has to start from this top. So let's say there's a leader listening to this conversation, and they realize that, oh man, I'm not I'm not giving people permission to innovate. Uh, what would you tell that leader in order to let people start innovating among the whole organization? Yes, I think. Uh... Again, uh, I try to explain in the book that uh, uh, you have to build. Execution is no problem. I mean, people understand very, uh, very nicely what is an execution engine, but you need to build an innovating engine. And this requires a formal, uh, concrete structure with its own uh, processes, its own culture. So I'll give you an example. Uh, uh, Bayer. The, uh, the global pharmacology and life science company in, in Germany. Um, I mean, they have a, a rich history of scientific achievements, but in 2014, they, they decided to create an innovating engine and leverage the innovating capability of the 100,000 people working in the company. How they did this? First, you're talking about the CEO. So what they did is that they made the whole board, the whole board responsible for innovation, ah. right? Then they selected 80 senior managers across all country groups and global functions to support the board as innovation ambassadors. So that's the top layer, right? Then these senior leaders, these ambassadors, they spend much of their time with middle managers, explaining, advocating, supporting, sponsoring innovation. And then they did, they created for these middle managers a fantastic support structure. If I remember correctly, between 2016 and 2020, they trained and certified a thousand innovation coaches locally uh, activated around the world. And then for the front people, like, you know, the secretaries you're talking about and the, 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 the frontline people, what they created, they created a, a, a WeSolve. It's a digital platform where anyone in the company 
can post information about a problem that they're struggling with and invite input from or ideas from anyone else in the company. Wow. Uh, at any given time, I visited the site once. At any given time, they have 200 challenges, pla- uh, I mean, uh, 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 you know, featured on the platform. And uh, up to now, they have 40,000 people who have participated in WeSolve. Uh, uh, and and the, the website is in English, and they have only fifty thousand people across the company who speak English. So they, they look at the rate of, of participation. So you can see this is really uh, 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 the, the senior leaders. I'm talking to your CEO, right? Uh, it's not the CEO. Everybody thinks that innovation is going to come from the leader. Not at, not at all. Not at all. But the leader can create the the engine. Mm. As I said, a role for the senior leaders. I discovered that people underestimate the importance of middle management. Middle management is pivotal to innovation and then create a a system where everybody can feel that they can bring an idea. Wow. Does your to-do list have you overwhelmed? When you join my digital productivity coaching program, you'll learn how to get and stay focused, become untangled from the chaos of your to-do list, experience less overwhelm, and have time to do what you really want to do. Sign up today by clicking the coaching tab at mrproductivity.com. You know, when you're talking, I was thinking about, I'm a... I'm an all in Apple kind of guy. And so I am always on an Apple beta program. And when you're on the beta program, you get an opportunity to report bugs, which is similar to what you were talking about. The we solve, you know, if I got a bug, I go into the app and I said, Hey, listen, I was doing X, Y, and Z. I got this error. And, and that's how they continue to improve their product. But I, I, I just want to go back to what you said earlier in the show that anybody can innovate. So whether you're a solo entrepreneur, if you are an entrepreneur with four people, if you got a major company and you're CEO, anybody can innovate, whether you're a salesperson, you're a secretary, if you are the individual that when you walk into the office that greets the person and you know there's a lobby there, anybody can innovate. And I, I want people to understand that, that if you are in a company that doesn't encourage innovation, well, maybe you should have a conversation with your direct report and say, hey, listen, I've got some ideas, but I don't know what to do with them. Do we, how do we innovate here? How do I give suggestions? Maybe you could be the catalyst to get that company to switch over to be an innovative company. Absolutely. I mean, this is, again, uh, 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 this is why you need to have permission. And the, uh, unfortunately, the one who can give permission is a CEO. So I think the, 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 the senior leaders are the one who need to put innovation at the core of strategy, number one. And then they have to really give permission. So then I said, you know, the, 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 what, what I found interesting, again, I come back to the middle managers here, but uh, I don't have difficulties to explain the importance of, of innovation to senior leaders. I mean, they are the ones who are struggling with, with a very volatile and, and, and today, even more uncertain world. So for them, innovation is not a, is no is no brainer. Similarly, the front line, they're engaged with customers, like you say, who see the bugs, complain about the bugs, right? They see non-customers who wish you could you could do something for them. So the front line 
they, 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 they don't have a problem. The ones who are in an interesting way shielded from this direct pressure for innovation is the mill managers mm. because they, uh, they are there for execution. Their, their, their job is to look for the proper execution of today's strategy. So as, as I was explaining the case of, of Bayer, and I can, I, I have other examples, but you need to educate these people. You need to, uh, you know, even train them, even though they're not going to be the ones coming up with the ideas, but they have to understand what is innovation, develop a sense of the language and understand the tools for innovation. And then what I saw, you know, I mentioned about Bayer. I saw this at uh, BASF. I saw it uh, even at Samsung. I saw quite a few companies that create uh, a separate unit that trains uh, innovation coaches. Because you see, the middle managers, they don't have the resources. They have people pushing from below saying, I want to innovate. You know, I got this great idea. You're not, you're not accepting my ideas. What can I do with it? And people don't, 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 don't have the time and all that. So if you have this resource where you have coaches who can come and, and help independent individual entrepreneurs, I mean, uh, uh, innovators or project teams work through their projects, coach them through the presentation, coach them through the whole process until implementation. Then the middle managers, they like it. And what I've seen also, I mean, uh, Allianz, the uh, financial giant from Germany again, uh, uh, they even found a way to incentivize middle managers on innovation. Uh, uh, in Allianz UK, what they do is that they have um, a, a, a league table of all their units and they, they publish it, they publish it regularly with who, who are the top innovators. So oh, you wow. can imagine no middle manager wants to be, to see his unit at, 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 at the bottom. So it kind of creates an incentive. So the incentive is not, and this is very important. The incentive is not, or the KPI is not on the individual innovator is on the, the, the middle manager who has to create an environment where people feel motivated to innovate. People feel that they come up with their ideas. And so some of these companies that I'm talking about, they created an incentive system where middle managers would be incentivized by the contribution of their team, of their team to innovation. You know, you got me excited. You know, I'm going to read your book. I, I just love the whole concept of innovation. Before we wrap up, is there anything else that you didn't get a chance to share with us on the show that you feel that you want to share with us? Well, I mean, I just want to kind of, uh, again, reemphasize the notion that uh, uh, the, the world is getting very uh, uncertain, very complicated, and relying on the, the individual genius or the R&D department to do all the innovation for the company uh, is is not going to be sufficient, and it is important to uh, uh, enlist and uh, uh, leverage, nurture the innovating capabilities of of everyone in the organization. And 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 for me, an organization built to innovate uh, is an innovation where anyone, again, I repeat, you like that, uh, anyone can innovate. You can innovate in everything you do, not only in products and services, but also every other parts of the organization, even in HR, in legal. And you have to make sure that everyone is 
continuously involved in some innovation uh, activity, that innovation or to innovate becomes a habit, second nature, that it is part of everybody's job, basically. Love that. So where can we go to find out more about here? Where can we get your book? Uh, well, you can, of course, go on your local uh, Amazon uh, website. And uh, we have also a website for the, uh, for the book. It's www.btithebook.com. BTI, of course, standing for Built to Innovate. Okay. BTI.com. Excellent. Well, I want to thank you for being on the show today. Thank you for staying up so late to be on the show, not once, but two nights in a row. <laughs> we finally got the episode recorded. And I think what you shared with us today on the show was absolutely brilliant. So thank you so much for being here. Not at all. Thank you so much, Mark. It was a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for your time and attention for listening to this episode of the Mark Stuchowski podcast. Hey, are you a Mark Stuchowski insider yet? This is my free email newsletter where I will send you value multiple times a week. And I promise you, every time I send an email out to my insiders, it always has value. So if you want to sign up, absolutely free. Just head on over to mrproductivity.com, M-I-S-T-E-R, mrproductivity.com.